Welcome to Love Bites. Love Bites. Love Bites. By Dr. Tara, your destination for sexual wellness and mindful relationship advice. Hope you're having an orgasmic day. Do you want to become sexually powerful? If the answer is yes, go to lovebites.co and check out 30 Days to My Best Sexy Self, a Sexual Mindfulness Journal. This ebook will change your life. In this sexual mindfulness journal, I offer the tried and true methods to become more sexually confident. It's for everyone who wants to have the best sex life possible. Hi, loves. I hope all of you are having an orgasmic day. <laughs> and if you're not having an orgasmic day, I think you'll be very interested in listening to my guest today. Today, I have Grace Wetzel. She's a PhD student at Rutgers University, and she studies social psychology. Her research is actually on the orgasm gap, in which is our topic today for our episode. And I'm so excited to learn more about it and learn about how do we move forward from here. She actually did a TEDx talk that has over 6 million views online. And her talk was titled, Let's Talk About Sex, The Reality of the Sexual Pleasure Disparity. Interesting, right? Since then, she has continued to advocate for sexual equity between men and women through research, writing, and speaking. Grace and I actually met at the Kinsey Institute, so I'm so excited that she's my guest here today. Hi, Grace. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. And I mean, you know, I'm all business, sometimes pleasure, but <laughs> let's get to it. Absolutely. All right. So I guess the very obvious question would be, what the hell is the orgasm gap? <laughs> Great question. So the orgasm gap is basically the well-established research finding that cisgender men on average have substantially more orgasms than cisgender women, particularly in heterosexual sexual interactions. So this is been replicated many times across many studies. And what researchers usually find is that men's orgasm rate falls somewhere around 90% of the time in a partnered context, whereas women's falls somewhere around 65% of the time. And that's the size of the sort of standard orgasm gap, but the size of the gap can be reduced or it can be exacerbated as well, depending on other aspects of the context. So for example, in a heterosexual first-time hookup situation, women's orgasm rate goes down to 11%, which oh. is very low, very, very low. Fear to my heart. Yes. And in a relationship sexual encounter where women, one, receive oral sex and two, stimulate their clitoris during intercourse, the orgasm gap essentially disappears in those contexts. So because the orgasm gap is context dependent, it means it can't be driven mainly by a biological difference or some biological right. inevitability. So it has something to do with the gendered aspects of, of sexual encounters that are happening between men and women. Damn. So basically yeah. when straight people have sex, 
a lot more men have orgasms than women. Yeah. I'm glad you bring that up because it, it's considered to be mainly a heterosexual issue because you'll notice that it doesn't exist to the same extent in same-sex relationships. So lesbian women report orgasm rates that are very similar to men's overall orgasm rates. So lesbian women report experiencing orgasm around 80% of the time. And men's orgasm rates don't differ by sexual orientation. So gay men, straight men, bisexual men, they're all experiencing orgasm somewhere between 85 and 90% of the time on average. It's straight women's orgasm rates that are down there closer to 60% of the time. Oof. And then 11% for hookups. Yeah. Greatly exacerbated in a casual sex encounter. Right. And guys mm -hmm. wonder why don't we want to hook up? <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, it's something that's been established in research as well is that women tend to be less interested in casual sex than men are. And so we're not coming. Right. Right. Some <laughs> researchers try to argue that there's some biological difference in preference for casual sex. Um, and Terry Conley, who's a very influential sexuality researcher, she did an awesome study showing that basically women aren't coming and that's why they don't want to have casual sex because they're not having a good time. Uh, right. Long story short. Yeah. And it's, you know, if I was providing pleasure, having this experience with another person, and of course, like I bring it. And if the other person doesn't even, you know, stimulate my clit or oral or basically do other ways to help stimulate my body to be at a capacity where I can experience and enjoy orgasm, then that seems like a wash. That seems like, why am I putting in all this effort for a hookup that will turn out to be a kind of a blah experience for me. Right, right. And you bring up the importance of stimulating the clitoris. And um, it's been also well established that, uh, you know, when sexual encounters include more sex acts that stimulate the clitoris, women are more likely to orgasm, which seems very obvious. Um, right. But there's still this, there's still this sort of myth that women can experience orgasms from their vaginas, that they are experiencing orgasms from their vaginas and that they should be experiencing orgasms from their vaginas. But in reality, research shows that statistically only about 20% of cis women report ever having had orgasm from vaginal penetration alone. And only around 5% of women report orgasm from vaginal penetration alone as their most reliable route to orgasm. Hmm. Well, I think personally, I can have vaginal orgasm if my clit is being stimulated, either prior and or at the same time as penetration, penetrative sex. So that's, that's like that's my actually, body. That's a really good point that you bring up because part of the, there's been a lot of mixed uh research about vaginal orgasm and part of the reason why it's so messy is that researchers fail to specify whether concurrent clitoral stimulation is happening or not mm. because actually some research descriptive study that i did found that the vast majority of women's most reliable route to orgasm during partnered sex is actually paired vaginal stimulation with clitoral stimulation. Oh yeah. So I'm your statistic. You're my statistic. So, so I'm most women. That. 
a lot of people pair the two in a partnered mm-hmm. context, and that's how they most reliably have an orgasm. That study also found that during masturbation, though, the vast majority of women use clitoral stimulation alone. Mm-hmm. Wow. So there's sort of a difference in how women are most reliably experiencing orgasm between masturbation and partnered sex with men. Yeah. I feel like it just couldn't be stressed enough that the clit is very important. Yes. And the clitoris is actually the anatomical equivalent to the penis. Mm -hmm. So they're homologous structures. They have sort of the same form and function. They develop similarly during gestation. Right. And so a lot of people don't know that the clitoris is also an internal structure as well as an external structure. So there's the Mm -hmm. external glands of the clitoris, and then there's an internal body that actually wraps around the vaginal canal and actually provides clitoral stimulation during vaginal penetration as well. Mm -hmm. And another thing- That's a great point to bring up because I think people don't even know their anatomy. Yeah. (laughs) If you're younger, right? And like just- at me as an example and my friends, when we were in our early twenties, I had no idea any of this. I had just Mm -hmm. learned this maybe like seven years ago. So like early twenties, I had no idea that that was the case that, you know, the external and internal of the clitoris and like that, I know that my external, like that little peaky, He's a little peak and the little peak. Yeah. That little peak with tons of nerve endings, Mm -hmm. you know, feels really good. And that kind of was the only thing I knew when I was younger. So I hope this is a good lesson for all women and all people with vulvas and vagina that like, this is your body. It's good Mm -hmm. to understand your body first as well, which is like something I also want to bring up that, you know, a sexual experience, like, although we're talking about this orgasm gap, it is perhaps, you know, most of the times not, it's not like whose fault is it? I don't think it's productive to be framing it like that. I think it's productive to be framing it like perhaps you also should be exploring your own body and your sexuality and what feels right and what feels good for you too, Mm -hmm. you know, without relying that like completely on your partner. Because I talk a lot about sexual mindfulness and doing like sexual meditation, like sensual breath work, touching your body, because I do think like this cultivation of your own sex sexuality and sensuality is really important Mm -hmm. contributing to this whole situation yeah and in terms of blame if i were to put the blame on anyone i put it on culture it's our culture that's to blame it's not women that are to blame or men that are to blame you know most men want to please their partners, right? They don't want to be a bad partner. Very few people want that. There is a sense of entitlement, particularly in hookup situations where you can sort of get away with not making your partner orgasm for men, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly not one group or the other's fault. It's sort of our our culture that isn't, you talked about um, not knowing about the internal clitoris. I'm thinking of like every anatomy textbook ever it's just that picture of the (laughs) of the internal like ram's head yeah internal structure like what 
what sex education curriculum has the clitoris listed on a diagram and and has the full structure portrayed for students to learn about. You know, there's almost no mention of women's pleasure in sex education curricula, period. Right. Like women's pleasure was actually tabooed to talk, to talk about for the longest time. So I can understand why historically, like none of that was included, but we are in the new age. I feel mm-hmm. the sex positive era in which I'm so happy that I'm a part of and that yes. you are a part of and that we can all talk about this. Yeah. And in terms of back to the clitoris, in terms of the clitoris being the homologous structure to the penis, when you ignore the clitoris during sexual activity, it's the anatomical equivalent of ignoring the penis. So, so like, just imagine going into a sexual encounter and just not touching the penis whatsoever, (laughs) which if that's your style, that's totally fine. But like, when you put it in that perspective is absolutely insane that people with vulvas are going into sexual encounters and just not having their clitoris stimulated. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not rubbing your penis if you're not touching my clit, <laughs> period. <laughs> if you're not stimulating my clit, there's no blowjobs for you. And I've heard stories from people of sexual encounters they've been in where their clitoris was literally never touched once. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard from a lot of women. Very common experience, which is really sad. Like, you know, and I mean, going back to your point where like, hopefully most men do want to please their partners. Mm -hmm. So men that are listening to this episode, please remember how important stimulating (laughs) the clit is for her. Yes. And it's been shown in research over and over that if you want to reduce the orgasm gap, if you want to increase women's orgasm frequency, more clitoral stimulation is like, one of the biggest ways to do that. Yes. Uh, I think there is also this, you know, fear of like the vibrator replacing mm-hmm. me or this uh, cultural myth that, you know, if she uses something else, like, bro, you're not enough for her, which is so toxic. So toxic. And that makes me think of all of the pressure that's put on the penis in terms mm-hmm. of sexual activity, like that, that the penis is supposed to deliver pleasure. The right. penis is supposed to last long, thrust hard, and basically give all of the pleasure of a sexual encounter. And then the penis gets very tied to masculinity. And it's this whole thing when really there are so many ways to have a sexually pleasurable experience that have nothing to do with the penis whatsoever. And if we can free ourselves from that sort of sexual script in which intercourse is supposed to provide all of the pleasure from a sexual encounter and give orgasm in a sexual encounter, we can free ourselves from that. Then not only does it take pressure off of cis men and, you know, this penis anxiety that people have, Mm -hmm. it also opens the door for more clitorally focused activities that are more likely to result in orgasm and are generally better for the pleasure of the woman. Right. And then we can just expand our our sexual activities to include what works for each individual couple. Right. Now it's a mutual experience. Mm -hmm. I want to start hashtag free the penis. (laughs) (laughs) What you just said, like penis anxiety, that's so real. And I Mm -hmm. have a lot of men that told me in, in private about that. And, you know, some clients that told me in private about that, in which I feel... I actually feel 
really bad for them that, you know, and a lot of men have this lack of confidence or basically high anxiety about their penis size Mm -hmm. due to that cultural sexual script and porn and Mm -hmm. media and music. Basically, just the men are bombarded with this message like you need a huge dick, huge hard dick to be a man, to be masculine, which is so sad. Like that's not true. And and ridiculous. It's ridiculous because, you know, there are so many ways for men to please their partners. And uh, the penis has nothing to do with external clitoral stimulation. So if you want to be a good sexual partner, there are so many ways to do that that have nothing to do with the size of your penis. Oh, and women go crazy for that. Like I, I, if you want me to sit on your face, I will. (laughs) This is another, another hashtag. (laughs) I love that. Let me sit on your face. I love sex toys, but I'm bougie. So I love toys that are body safe with sleek, beautiful, delicate designs. This is why I like Desirable's high-end porcelain G-spot dildo. The Dahlia is one of the most beautiful dildos I've ever seen. Check them out by using the link in my episode description and use code Dr. Tara for 10% discount. That is D-R-T-A-R-A, and have an orgasmic time. Now I have another question that I feel you're the best person to answer because we're already talking about this orgasm gap and like specifically about the orgasm. And you probably already shared a bunch on this, but I have this other question, like what are some myths about orgasm? That is kind of the narrative that we have. And it's like, obviously like not true at all. However, like a lot of people still believe in it or talk about it. Yeah. There are a few that come to mind. I've touched on some of them already. The first one that comes to mind is what's sort of popularly known as the myth of the vaginal orgasm. Mm -hmm. So the myth that cis women are and should be having orgasms from just vaginal penetration alone, which as I already mentioned, the minority of women report ever having experienced this. And the incredible Dr. Lori Mintz, who is sort of a pioneer in this work, she argued that we shouldn't be asking if people have ever experienced orgasm just from vaginal penetration. But the the more important question is how they most reliably achieve orgasm. And as I sort of mentioned, 95% of women report needing clitoral stimulation in some form in order to most reliably achieve orgasm. Mm -hmm. So, so just sort of disproving that idea Mm -hmm. that I think puts a lot of pressure on women. I think women feel a lot of pressure that they're supposed to be having an orgasm Mm -hmm. from the penis, from penetration of their vagina. That's how, that's how it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And if they're not having an orgasm that way, something is wrong with them. I can't tell you how many women I've encountered who feel this way. And when you free them from that pressure and expectation for that, it can really transform their sex life and their orgasmic life. Yeah. Well, now you can enjoy the activity, right? Just fully embrace it, being present and not like, Ooh, when should I act like I'm coming? Right, right. Which is a whole literature, like a whole research, uh, body of research on faked orgasms. 
Yes. And a lot of women, one of the reasons why women fake orgasms is because they believe that they should be having an orgasm from right. vaginal penetration alone. Right. And I feel like majority of the women were just so polite. <laughs> and right. There's lots really of don't want to hurt other people's feelings. Yeah. yeah. Women, yeah. Women also fake orgasms to protect their partner's feelings and yeah. also because they want the sex act to be over. That's another reason why, why they'll do that. Yeah. Like I'll throw myself under the bus in the past, especially when I was younger, right. like early twenties, I would, you know, fake orgasms multiple times. Right. I, I have a, I have both a pin and a piece of artwork that both say stop faking orgasms right. because Dr. Mintz, who I mentioned before, one of her other quotes is Faking an orgasm teaches your partner to do exactly what doesn't work for you. Oh. So faking orgasms basically reinforce the behavior that's not working. Oh my gosh. It is so, so true. <laughs> <laughs> what are some other myths that we should know about that is obviously not true? The, the next myth that comes to mind is the, the myth that orgasm, the orgasm gap and orgasm differences between men and women are biologically based, which I also sort of briefly mentioned. So what I see culturally all the time and what I find in my research too, is that people have this idea that it's just naturally more difficult for women to achieve orgasm compared to men. This is my absolute pet peeve. And it's what a lot of my research is focused on because, you know, do cisgender women have more difficulty with orgasm than cisgender men do? Obviously that's the right. whole problem. That's right. what we're seeing, but it's not a difference in biological capacity, right? right? That's the key point because when people write it off as a biological difference, then that's just it, right? They just write it off. Right. And then they think that there's nothing that can be done about it because right. that's just the way that it is. Or they try to take some pills or, right. do or they surgery. try to medicalize it. Yeah, right. exactly. There's a documentary about that. And I wish I could remember the name of the documentary right now. Um, but it was about the medicalization of like sex problems. Right. And, and one woman thought she had an orgasm problem and she was seeking all of this medical treatment Mm -hmm. you know, very extensive medical treatment. And it turns out she had been having clitoral orgasms the entire time. It was just the fact that she wasn't having orgasms from vaginal penetration that caused her to pursue all of this treatment. Yeah. And I remember from that video too, I think she ran into some really big medical issues afterwards, right? It was something so. like along the line of she had to put like a device on her body which in turn, very like, extensive. yeah, it was, yeah, it was really intense and damn all of that just from this belief. Mm -hmm. Oof. And, rough. Yeah. And one of the easiest ways to debunk the idea that there's a biological difference in capacity is just to look at masturbation rates, right? Mm -hmm. Because people with vulvas generally report the same rate of orgasm from masturbation as people with penises. And it takes them about the same amount of time as well. So there's, there's no biological difference in people's capacity to bring themselves to orgasm. It's all about those partnered situations, particularly those partners situations between men and women and the dynamics that are at play there. Because again, lesbian women's orgasm rates are very similar to men's, 
And then certain contexts where women are receiving more clitoral stimulation, where they're more comfortable uh, advocating for what they need with their partners, then they're having more orgasms and the orgasm gap is becoming smaller. Mm -hmm. So if it was due to biology, then you wouldn't see these like wildly varying differences in orgasm rates from context to context, because, you know, that points to contextual factors rather than biological factors. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. I'd say my most trusted confidant for the last 10 plus years is my vibrator. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I come every time. (laughs) And when we talk about sexual scripts and expanding sexual scripts, you know, There's nothing wrong with expanding your partnered sexual interactions to include what works for you. If even if that includes bringing up a vibrator into sexual interactions with a partner, right? Which I think, you know, some people have a stigma against or are kind of scared Mm -hmm. of, but there's nothing wrong with incorporating what works for you into your relationship with your partner. And I think we should take the shame away from that. Hell yeah. Let's normalize that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like do everything we can to have this amazing time together and connect and have pleasure. Yes, absolutely. And another thing that Dr. Mintz talks about in terms of improving orgasm frequency for women is figure out what works best for you on your own. So explore yourself, figure out what is the specific method that is most effective for me? Mm-hmm. Then work on translating that specific method to your interactions with your partner. Oh my gosh. That is literally my research that I'm going to talk about at my TEDx talk next oh month. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Tell it's me like, more about that. Well, it's basically the sexual success model that I'm creating and I'm a statistician. So this is quantitative and it's basically mm-hmm. sexual mindfulness as like the origin variable of all kinds of pleasurable things because sexual Mm -hmm. mindfulness is exactly what you just said. It's exploring your body, knowing your body and what feels good first. And then that would then in turn, you know, help you become more sexually confident, which then allows you to have sexual communication that is effective with your partner, Mm -hmm. which then turns out to be pleasure, sexual satisfaction. Yes. And sexual communication is another one of the biggest, biggest factors that's associated with reducing the orgasm gap. For sure. Yes. Oof, that's a a lot to learn. So a little bit earlier, you mentioned sexual script. I just want to make sure my audience knows like what it is and what do you mean? Yeah. So scripts, generally speaking, are a psychological tool that we use to organize our social world, right? They tell us what to expect or how to act in a certain social situation. So that's not a bad thing in and of itself. The problem is that the the script for the dominant script for heterosexual sex is super problematic and it leaves very little room for women's orgasm. So the dominant script for heterosexual sex basically consists first of foreplay, which is designed to get both partners aroused and to get basically the vagina ready for intercourse. (laughs) And then intercourse happens, which is considered the main sex act. Then the man has an orgasm from intercourse and then sex is over. So (laughs) the dominant heterosexual sexual script is basically foreplay, intercourse, 
man orgasms sex over yeah also it's so fucked up that some people only have like three minute foreplay well right and so the this foreplay is focused on the activities that might actually result in an orgasm for the woman but it's usually super brief and then you know it's just designed as a precursor to intercourse so I actually hate the word foreplay (laughs) I I never use it because I want sort of all sex acts to be viewed equally under this umbrella of sex rather than this word sex is used to refer to intercourse and the word foreplay is used to refer to basically everything else that a couple could do oh my gosh such a good point to me it's all play (laughs) right right so I you know it's all sex, right? Anything that you're doing sexually with your partner is sex. And there's no sex act that's above another. Right. Yeah. Wow. I feel like I've learned so much today. <laughs> it's been fun. It's been, yeah. There's so much more to say. We could talk about this for two hours. Totally. Totally. Maybe one of these days I should have a special. <laughs> the orgasm, orgasm special. special. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. So loves, I would like to move to my fun segment today. We're going to play a little game with Grace. Grace, are you ready? I'm nervous, but I'm ready. All right. All right. We're playing 10 quickies with Dr. Tara. I am going to give Grace a word and she's just going to give me her first reaction and then we'll go from there. Wow. Sounds very (laughs) exciting and very nerve wracking. (laughs) All right, let's go. One, role play. Something to try. (laughs) Two, sex on the beach. My favorite alcoholic beverage, which I make very well, by the way. Nice. Three, pegging. Nice. Four, threesomes. Make sure it's not fetishized and is equally consensual yes five (laughs) traditional sex ed not adequate and not inclusive enough six parent-child sexual communication should be non-judgmental and should be open yes seven sex on the first date nothing wrong with that eight lube Essential. Nine, tantric sex. Something to try. Ten, last but not least, anal. Isn't supposed to be painful. (laughs) I love that. I love that we (laughs) ended with that. It isn't supposed to be painful. That was the the perfect ending. That is the perfect ending. So Grace, thank you so much for dropping all this knowledge today. Do you have any last words? So yeah, let, last thoughts, let's talk about moving forward. Yes. Right? Moving forward, we need education about the clitoris. We need to dispel the pressure for vaginal orgasm. Hell we yes. need to shift our sexual scripts, use the sexual scripts that work best for us. And I think my last words are that we need to create basically a culture that values women's pleasure equally to men's pleasure, right? Hell yes. Hell yeah. And if you go into a sexual encounter without expecting to have an orgasm, then you're not likely to be that disappointed when you don't have one, which is totally fine. 
But I'd like to see us create a culture where women's orgasm is not viewed as a bonus, but is viewed as just as much of the expected result of a sexual encounter as men's orgasm is. And where sexual encounters between men and women are actually designed in a way where that's possible. A million snaps. Yes. (laughs) Your Instagram. Yeah, you can follow my Instagram page at orgasm underscore equality underscore if you want to learn more. Totally. Thank you so much for being here today, Grace. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. All right. Bye, loves. And after this talk, I hope you're having an orgasmic day. So you've seen my Cosmo article on giving tantric massages, right? One of the best massage candles out there is by Maud. Maud has a toxic-free, skin-softening, gorgeous massage candle I recommend. If you'd like to buy one, you can go to getmod.com forward slash Dr. Tara. That's G-E-T. M-A-U-D-E dot com forward slash D-R-T-A-R-A. This information is also in my show description. Then you can use the discount code Dr. Tara, D-R-T-A-R-A, for $5 off your order. Let's get massaging. Thanks for listening. This was was Love Bites. Love Bites. By Dr. Tara. Follow Dr. Tara on social media at lovebites.co. Have an orgasmic day.